The Iowa legislature has moved through its first month with bills on everything from education to tax cuts grabbing the headlines. We gather perspective from Iowa Senate Minority Leader Zach Walls on this edition of Iowa Press. Funding for Iowa Press was provided by Friends, the Iowa PBS Foundation. The Associated General Contractors of Iowa, the public's partner in building Iowa's highway, bridge, and municipal utility infrastructure. Fuel Iowa is a voice and a resource for Iowa's fuel industry. Our members offer a diverse range of products, including fuel, grocery, and convenience items. They help keep Iowans on the move in rural and urban communities. Together, we fuel Iowa. Small businesses are the backbone of Iowa's communities, and they are backed by Iowa banks. With advice, loans, and financial services, banks across Iowa are committed to showing small businesses the way to a stronger tomorrow. Learn more at iowabankers.com. For decades, Iowa Press has brought you political leaders and newsmakers from across Iowa and beyond. Celebrating 50 years of broadcast excellence on statewide Iowa PBS. This is the Friday, February 11th edition of Iowa Press. Here is Kay Henderson. Votes are coming up in the Iowa Senate on tax cuts and education spending and a host of other issues are being debated in committees. Our guest today can speak to all of those issues. Our guest is Senator Zach Walls. He is a minority leader in the Iowa Senate. He's from Coralville. Welcome back to the program. Thanks, Kay. Also joining us here today to question the senator are Clay Masters of Iowa Public Radio and Aaron Murphy of the Gazette in Cedar Rapids. Senator Walls, the Sen- uh, State House Republicans are proposing different measures uh, to allow parents who have concerns about books in schools that they deem to be obscene or vulgar to have those books removed from libraries or school curriculum. Um, covered a, a few meetings on that this week, and, and what we heard from opponents of that bill, including Democrats, is that that people should trust the process. But parents are saying, we've already tried the process, and we were told no, they didn't get the response they were hoping for. So, so what is the next step for those parents, or what is your message to those parents? Well, first of all, let me just say congratulations on your new role with the Gazette. Uh, I mean, it's great to be back on the program. Clay, I'm looking forward to hearing your voice in the afternoon, which is a little bit of a change of pace for me. But this is a really important issue, and I want to speak to it directly. Uh, There has been a bipartisan bill that has moved through the Education Committee, a parental bill of rights that reflects the fact that Democrats, Republicans, and independents can all agree that we want to involve parents in our children's education. We think that's really, really important. I would say the disconnect is that there are some Republicans who want to completely exclude teachers and librarians from the process. We don't think that's the right way to go. I know that Earlier today, there was a subcommittee on Senator Jake Chapman's bill that would actually result in jail time for teachers or librarians and involves stripping them of their licenses. I don't think that's a realistic approach. I don't think it's the right thing for Iowa students. And I think it's actually going to make a lot of the issues that we're seeing with teacher shortages a lot worse. I think that the Parental Bill of Rights is something that is a a good compromise bill that Democrats and Republicans have advanced on a bipartisan basis out of both subcommittee and full committee. And if we really want to put this issue to rest, I think that's the right way to do it. I don't think the Republican idea from Senator Chapman to jail teachers is going to do anything that actually benefits Iowa children. So part of the disconnect here seems to be a disagreement over what individuals may consider to be obscene or graphic or vulgar. So again, to circle back to my question, 
to those parents who have gone through the process that is in place. They've asked their school board, they've asked their teachers, and they have, they have been told that those books are deemed to have educational value. And they're still, for those parents who are still upset about that, what is your message to them? Well, look, if parents have concerns about materials, they should absolutely express those concerns to the administration and teachers and librarians, and most importantly, with their own kids. If they've got a concern about something that their child might have read, it is obviously every parent's right to be fully involved in their child's education and to talk with their kids about whatever those materials may be. Again, I think the fundamental thing that we want to agree on here is that parents have that right, that opportunity to be involved in their child's education. And frankly, I don't think there's any group of people in the state of Iowa who would like, teacher, who would like parents to be more involved in their children's education than Iowa teachers. And that's what we think, and that's why there's been bipartisan support for a parental bill of rights. But we have grave concerns that threatening teachers with jail time will further exacerbate a crisis that we're currently seeing in our education workforce already. So you mentioned that bill that's a little bit different than the other ones, goes a little farther. Um, a lot farther, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> Speaker Grassley has said that he doesn't see that as the right path forward, and even Senator Whitfer, who is, is the uh, leader of the Senate Republicans, right. has, has echoed similar comments. Do you trust what they're saying and that, that maybe that bill doesn't have a future? Or, or what, what is, I guess, well, Aaron, what are you, you hearing? Yeah, Aaron, you know that I don't agree with Senator Whitfer or Speaker Grassley all that often, but I agree with them on this one. Senator Chapman's position is incredibly extreme. It's dangerous, and I don't think it has the right approach for the state. We're just talking about the parental bill of rights. I'm curious to kind of look at the flip coin of the the rights for teachers. Mm. Uh, we saw a recent National Education Association poll that showed 55% of teachers are thinking about leaving the field. What needs to be done in Iowa to make sure that teachers want to keep working in this state? Well, it's a great question, Clay. I think the number one thing that we have to do is to stop pouring gasoline on these culture war fights and start getting back to respecting our educators who are in the classroom. Uh, the fact that half of our teachers are thinking about leaving the profession is something that should scare, frankly, every Iowan. We know that public schools are an important part of what makes Iowa great. And the fact that we're seeing expanding class sizes because of teacher shortages, kids in Davenport can't get to school because there aren't enough bus drivers. It's a huge challenge for our state, and I have real concerns about what's going to happen in August when school comes back into session later this fall. So are there areas of compromise that you can reach with the majority party, with Republicans, on education issues? Because right now there seems to be a, a bit of dissonance aside from the parental bill of rights that you just mentioned. You know, it's a good question. Democrats in both the Senate and the House last week re released our joint education plan. We're proposing $300 million investment in our K-12 schools. Uh, Governor Reynolds proposed a $300 million corporate, ta corporate tax giveaway. We think that those dollars should be invested in our, our kids, not given away to big corporations that have out-of-state shareholders. I do think that there are going to be some things we can do on workforce where I hope there's a bipartisan agreement. I know that the governor has talked about an apprenticeship program that would help uh, with a pipeline of talent, getting more young people to think about teaching. But I think the number one thing that we have to do to get more young people to think about teaching is to stop accusing them of having a sinister agenda. That's an easy thing that we can all do uh, as long as Senator Chapman is willing to tone down the rhetoric. But unfortunately, based on what I heard today from that subcommittee, that's not the direction he wants to go. Another education-related proposal from the governor has been altered um, that would provide accounts for parents, uh, state money mm. in those accounts, for parents to send their child to uh, a private school. Yeah. Um, there's also a mechanism to distribute some of that money 
to rural schools. Is that an accommodation um, that you could support? Absolutely not. Vouchers uh, using public money for private schools is an existential threat to Iowa's public education system. Democrats have been very consistent that we think that if there are concerns about our public education system, the way to address those concerns is by continuing to improve Iowa's great public schools. We don't think that it's right to use public money for private school. It's that simple. Senator Walls, uh, you are fond of telling folks that one of the first, if not the first vote that you cast was for the Natural Resources Trust Fund uh, that was dedicated back in 2010, but never funded since then. Senate Republicans, as part of their tax proposal, have included a a mechanism that would, uh, to say it simply, shift some funding around. Yeah, but it would trigger funding for that Natural Resources Fund, are you, I, I'm assuming you probably won't support that bill as a whole. Are you at least happy to see that piece in there? Look, I wish that there was a way we could do the standalone pieces and, and look at each of them individually. I understand, of course, why these different pieces have all been put together and that it is a part of the negotiations that are ongoing. I am, of course, excited to see the, the possibility that we'll fund I will. I also represent a county, Johnson County, that's one of the only entities in the state that has actually not implemented the local option sales tax. But I also represent Cedar County and Muscatine County, which have communities that have done so. And so there are very real concerns in those communities about what will happen to that lost revenue, uh, local option sales tax revenue, that if we move these things around, a little bit of this kind of tax uh, switcheroo here, What's the impact going to be on those communities? In fact, I got an email just today from the uh, city administrator in West Branch over in Cedar County who has expressing that exact concern and wanting to try to figure out if this goes through, what does that mean for West Branch? I think everyone, I mean, not everyone, but you know, more than 60% of Iowa voters approved the Iowa uh, funding in 2010. I was one of them, to your point. And I think that people are really excited to see this happen we got to balance the uh, ramifications with the municipalities uh, that have implemented the local option sales tax. Uh, but I, I am glad to see that we're having this conversation, and I am hopeful that we're going to be able to fund IWO. So if it does move forward, it does get funded, how do you make sure that there is any kind of teeth to know that there is improvement in water quality in the state of Iowa? Well, that's a great question, Clay. You know, I think that we all, I, I hope, agree that water quality is an issue that we need to continue to work on. In terms of the metrics, I know that there are, are a couple of different things that, that people look at, uh, the number of polluted waterways, what have you, uh, and then obviously that all kind of trickles down into the Gulf and the hypoxia, what have you. So I, I would say that we already have metrics in place that we use to evaluate our progress or lack thereof on water quality. And I think the hope is that I will wouldn't necessarily bring new metrics to the table, but that it would give us the revenue needed to fund projects that would move the needle within the current framework. Of course, I would like to see the state continue to do more on water quality. Uh, it's an issue that affects urban Iowa, rural Iowa, and everything in between. But uh, unfortunately, I don't think we've seen a lot of appetite for that from the current majority. I know that Governor Reynolds recently announced an investment in water quality projects using American Rescue Plan money. Um, course, I always like to remind people that Governor Reynolds campaigned against the American Rescue Plan, but now she's trying to take credit for it. But it is good that we are getting those dollars into the system. We've heard concerns from some Democrats about the, the formula, the, the way that yeah. dollars, those dollars would be distributed. This money goes for these kind of projects, X, Y, Z. Yep. Are you hearing the same thing? I am. Were the, and, and what level of concern to have it, uh, if some of those changes are made? 
Well, I certainly am hearing the concerns, and, and Aaron, I share them. Uh, voters had a good understanding of what the formula would be when we voted for that constitutional amendment in 2010. It was a part of uh, the deal that got all the various stakeholders to the table that got the constitutional amendment passed in the first place. And so changing that deal, even though it has been obviously a, a pretty significant amount of time, is something that is concerning. And, and I would prefer to see the original formula, not a changed one. The biggest part of the Republican tax plan, in case people are just tuning in, is uh, shrinking the um, income tax rate for personal income taxes mm -hmm. to 4%. Democrats, such as yourself, have proposed increasing the earned income tax credit and the child and dependent care tax credit. If Republicans don't agree to that, will you support the bill? I mean, I'm reminded last year there was a tax plan that that Democrats criticized, and then they wound up voting for it. Well, there were, it was actually, in partly, it was the other way around. We had a compromise bill in the Senate that we did vote for, and then we voted against the final passage. And look, I'll say this again. Democrats do support bipartisan common-sense tax reform when it makes sense. What we don't think makes sense about this proposal is giving a huge tax cut to millionaires and billionaires. And then also, uh, the, the concern that we have is that, again, you're talking about tens if not hundreds of millions of dollars to large corporations, many of whom have shareholders who are out of state. I know that my Republican colleagues like to talk about returning these tax dollars to Iowans. We think one of the best ways to do that is rather than having that $300 million corporate tax giveaway, actually investing that in our public schools, which obviously is a direct investment in Iowans. I don't think that we're going to support a plan that gives uh, millionaires the biggest tax cut of anyone who's being um, who had the benefit of that plan. That's why our plan was focused, and we talk about the earned income tax credit, the child and dependent tax credit. It's a, a fancy way of saying we believe that middle class Iowans should be the biggest beneficiaries of any tax changes. That's what our plan does, and that's the biggest difference between Iowa Democrats' tax plan and Iowa Republicans' tax plan. So I want to ask you about a topic that uh, I know you were the first legislator to bring to me, and uh, you'd remember better than me what, how many years ago that's been now, but rent at mobile home parks. Yes. Um, it was April 2019. There you go. Um, there has, that's been an issue that you've worked on, and, and more and more legislators have joined you in that, and there's been some discussion, but have never been able to get over the hump on it. There's now a bill that is being called a compromise bill across the pretender from you in, in the Iowa House that uh, pretty simply adds another month to the notice that renters would receive when their rent is going to be increased. How happy are you to see that, and how much further do you wish it would have gone? Well, let me start first by giving credit to Representative Brian Losey over in Bondurant. Um, Brian and I had uh, some very strong dis disagreements about uh, this issue initially, but we were able to work through those in a bipartisan way, and there has been a host of people who have been involved with this conversation. Uh, I would say that there are several good things in this piece of legislation that I'm happy to see. There are also a lot of good things that are not in this legislation. Of course, that is the nature of compromise, and so while we haven't caucused on it yet, and I haven't had the chance to give it quite as close of a look as I would like, I do expect that I will likely wind up voting for it. Again, I have some concerns about what is not in the bill, but I understand that when Republicans are in the majority, they get to pass the laws. Good segue to what do the party in the minority do, and how do you measure success? Mm -hmm. uh, do you do it through compromise or defiantly uh, going against what Republicans are saying so that you can campaign on a, me a message of uh, you know, being a defiant Democrat running against the Republican majority. How do you measure success, and how do people 
uh, think of the Democratic Party and the Senate as being successful when they support you? It's a great question, Clay. When you're in the minority, I think our most important responsibility is to provide a contrast on the issues that are controversial and they get a lot of attention, not just from the press, but from also from the public. I think that when it comes to things like our proposal on education and taxes from last week, contrasting that $300 million investment that we would like to make in public education against the $300 million corporate giveaway from Governor Reynolds, that kind of contrast is, I think, what helps take what can be very detail in the weeds conversations and put it into terminology that everyday folks who aren't policy wonks, you know, can can track and say, yeah, I think that's the direction we should go or no, we should go in this direction. So I think that for the minority, the way that we think about success is are we doing an effective job and illustrating and, and demonstrating that contrast on those highly controversial issues? And then on the issues that are not controversial, we're you know, and this is always a surprise to some of my constituents, you know, almost 85% of the bills that we pass are on a bipartisan basis, making sure that we're providing good input on those because a lot of those tweaks that get made along the way aren't a Democratic idea or a Republican idea, they're just a good idea. And so when I think about success in the minority, it's primarily those two things, demonstrating contrast in the areas where we disagree, and there are a lot of areas where we disagree, and then trying to work together on a bipartisan way where we do agree and, and doing so in a way that's not about a Democrat or a Republican. So on those points that you do disagree, you'll take those out later this summer and fall on the campaign trail, you and your colleagues. Um, I wanted to ask you, going into this election cycle, and I know you're focused on the legislature right now, but looking down the road a little bit, um, we saw that at the top of the ticket here in Iowa, especially in the governor's race, uh, there was not a lot of financial support for the candidates who are running for governor on the Democratic side. That doesn't affect you and your Senate candidates maybe directly, but how much does that concern you as far as the influence from the top of the ticket down? If, if, if there's not excitement up here for Democratic candidates, are you worried that... That will that there's not going to be excitement down here at the state house level well, either. Well, I'm not worried about that at all because we have incredible candidates across the state of Iowa who are stepping up to run for office. We have an incredible uh, group of of service oriented community leaders, uh, both here in the Polk County area, but across the state who are stepping up to put their name on the ballot because they're looking around at what Republicans are doing in Iowa and they're just saying enough is enough. We don't need this kind of rhetoric. We don't need this kind of extremism in our state. We want our politicians to get focused again on the, the, just the blocking and tackling of good government, not pouring gasoline on the culture war. And so we've got a couple of folks who I'm really excited about, I'll say, up in Ankeny. Uh, we've got Todd Brady, who created the website Vaccine Hunter because he was unsatisfied with the govern governor's slow response and the vaccine rollout here in Iowa, running in the open seat that Senator Whitfer uh, left and moved into a more, a more safe rural seat. But even in that seat, uh, Senate District 23, just earlier this week, a local educator in Joaquin named Matt Priest announced that he's running. Uh, and that seat, Matt, is a cross-country coach, so he knows a little bit about running. And we're really excited to see the energy he brings to the race. Uh, um, I can't forgive that pun, but uh, I, I just wanted to follow up. So that's well and, and good, but with all due respect, a lot of people don't come out to vote for Zach Walls or, or Matt Priest. They come out to vote for Governor Kim Reynolds or the, or the Democrat running against her. So is, is there any concern about an enthusiasm gap maybe here that could you affect know, your races? I think that might be more true in a presidential year. I know in Iowa we're used to getting to meet the presidential candidates, but I do think that for these state Senate races, it's going to be about having candidates who can get out 
door knock, talk to their neighbors, their community members, make their case about why they're running, and make sure that these folks are voting for the person, not the party. Speaking of presidential years, uh, there are members of the Democratic National Committee who are Mm. saying enough is enough when it comes to the caucuses. what is the future of the Iowa caucuses in your view? Should they go away? Should they be rejiggered? That's <laughs> probably a better question for Chairman Wilburn. Uh, I certainly support the caucuses and have for a long time. Uh, I really enjoyed the caucus that I got to lead in 2020. It was just a few weeks before everything got shut down uh, with COVID. Uh, and it was an incredible experience. I. I did not have the same challenges that I think some folks ran into with the app and what have you, but obviously that was a learning experience. I know that there were some issues and there was a report and what have you with the DNC about the virtual option and reporting all this stuff. Um, Look, it continues to be the case that the caucuses have to continue to become more inclusive, and I'm sure that there's a way that we can do that in Iowa. The 15th, or yeah, the 15th, I'm trying to remember what day it is. The 15th of this month is when the governor's emergency proclamation yeah. regarding the pandemic is going to expire. Uh, we've seen in other blue states, Democratic-led governor states, uh, that they're dropping mask mandates. Uh, how do you think this approach is? I mean, is it time to just you know stop treating it like an emergency, or, or how do you move forward with it? And does that have effect on people running for election? Clay, I think we all want a return to normalcy. Uh, The best way to do that continues to be by getting as many Iowans vaccinated as possible. I've been very glad to see case rates are coming down from the peak of the Omicron surge. And so I certainly hope that the worst is behind us and that we're going to be able to move forward back to something that resembles normal. Uh, I will tell you that there, and in fact, I got a text message shortly after I arrived here today to tape this program uh, from a local superintendent who is worried that when this public uh, health proclamation expires, uh, the the proclamation loosened some of the rules for substitute teachers and paraeducators. He's concerned about what's going to happen if that goes away because they're already facing a shortage of educators in the classroom. And so there are going to be some of those things that we have to work through. Uh, but I do hope that we're able to do that in a bipartisan way because I think we all do want to return to normal as fast as we can. There are a couple of bills introduced recently on on the topic of vaccines uh, by Republicans in the House. One uh, would allow uh, school boards to uh, provide exemptions to students uh, who would be required to wear masks under a recent court ruling ruling that was handed down here. Another would just straight out ban requirements of face masks in all businesses and schools would requ- would ban vaccine requirements as businesses schools. I was just wondering if you had any reaction to either of those proposals. I haven't had a chance to look at them closely, but what I will tell you is that I, unfortunately, and, and I know that two years in now, it's, I think it's all, it's, it's tough, right? I mean, this has obviously become very political rather than a purely uh, public health uh, question. And so I think that's reflected in, in those ideas. We also wanted to ask you, state parks uh, are seeing more use than ever because of the, partly because of the pandemic. Um, did you, and we now have an issue propping up about park rangers and housing for them. Is the Department of Natural Resources in Iowa funded sufficiently for Iowans to enjoy those parks? Yeah, I, I certainly don't think so. Uh, and I know that many other people share that concern. Um, you know, we have seen, I would argue, systematic defunding of state government 
across a range of different departments, whether it's Department of Natural Resources. Um, there was a recent report about the Department of Corrections that talked about how uh, underfunded and understaffed our prison system was. And so, I mean, again, that's a part of that Republican philosophy of shrinking uh, the size of state government, but that has a real consequence for people, which is that the services that many Iowans enjoy and count on can't be delivered at the quality that they're expecting. And so there's been some discussion on the Senate floor, actually, about this exact topic. Senator Bolcom, I think, just this morning, uh, and I think also yesterday spoke about this. And so he had some good bipartisan conversations after he was done speaking, and I'm hopeful that we'll see some good movement on that this year. In the Iowa House, there's a series of proposals um, aimed at addressing the shortage of mental health services in Iowa. Um, do you think it's the right move to increase spaces at the mental health institutes in Cherokee and Independence and um, you know, some of the psychiatric residencies um, that are at the University of Iowa where um, you live? Yeah. Well, I, look, I think that we need an all-of-the-above solution when it comes to mental health because we are seeing real challenges. Um, I, I, I think that when we're talking specifically about our MHIs, I know that there is a consent decree that the Department of Justice and the federal government is working on with the uh, Department of Human Services here in the state of Iowa, and so that is going to have to be a part of the equation as well. But I do think that when it comes to mental health, unfortunately, it's another illustration of where we are with the Reynolds workforce crisis. There are so many mental health professionals who are retiring, who are leaving the state. It's hard for us to attract and recruit talent to the state to work in this profession. Um, it's, you know, when we say that it's affecting literally every industry, that includes mental health. I must issue a decree. We are out of time for our conversation today. Thanks for joining us at the Iowa Press Table. Thanks, Kay. You can watch Iowa Press episodes anytime at iowapbs.org or at our regular broadcast time, 7.30 on Friday nights and at noon on Sunday. For everyone here at Iowa PBS, thanks for watching. Funding for Iowa Press was provided by Friends, the Iowa PBS Foundation. The Associated General Contractors of Iowa, the public's partner in building Iowa's highway, bridge, and municipal utility infrastructure. Fuel Iowa is a voice and a resource for Iowa's fuel industry. Our members offer a diverse range of products, including fuel, grocery, and convenience items. They help keep Iowans on the move in rural and urban communities. Together, we fuel Iowa. Small businesses are the backbone of Iowa's communities, and they are backed by Iowa banks. With advice, loans, and financial services, banks across Iowa are committed to showing small businesses the way to a stronger tomorrow. Learn more at iowabankers.com.